You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join him now. 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. And if you jump back up to verses 1 and 2, it kind of gives us the context for this entire section. Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And so this whole section is about our walk. And the Bible talks about our walk, not in the sense of putting one foot in front of the other, but in our character, in our life. It it defines who we are and how we live. That's what it means when it says walk. How you ought to walk, how you ought to live your life. And that you might please God, which is really the goal of every Christian, is to please God. When you wake up in the morning, whether you're cognizant of it or not, your desire should be to please God. You, you should, more than anything else, want to glorify God and, and want to please Him. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And these aren't so much commandments like we find the Ten Commandments, but these are like military orders. These are, are things that, that Paul, as their superior officer, is, is handing down to them. And, and here, 2,000 years later, we're reading these things, and they're military orders for us as well. We, we hear this, and we, we want to obey this. We want to respond to this. And so that's the context of this entire section. And Paul now switches gears from sexual purity, which we talked about last week. If you weren't here, you might pick up the CD. He switches gears from sexual purity to reaching the lost. Too often churches, and we can all fall into this, have a four walls mentality. You know what I mean by that, where we only see the four walls of the church where everything is seen through the lens of the church. And church becomes the end rather than a means to an end. We have all seen that, where it just becomes about church, and everything is about church, and there's something for everyone, and and it's very church-focused. It's all about church. And yet... We don't find that in the scriptures at all. In fact, what we find is the church is a place to come and to be equipped and to be recharged and to be sent out into the world where we're salt and light, where we're not just existing to make the church function, but we're existing to reach people for Jesus. And the church is an end in that. It's a means to that end. And we are instructed here as to how we can make a difference in the lives of people, how we can influence people for Jesus, how we can point people that don't have a relationship with Jesus to Him and to having a relationship with Him. And often when we talk about evangelism and we talk about getting outside of the church and influencing people for Christ, it's often kind of, you know, being beat over the head. Have you ever been beat over the head about evangelism and that you're just a horrible person and if you really had a heart for Jesus, you would go and tell people about him and if you really believe the gospel, that 
you would go tell people because it's the amazing message, right? And if you really believe that people are going to hell, you would do something about it. And you know what? All those things are true. But I don't know that beating people over the head is the way to encourage us, to motivate us to go do it. What we find here is Paul simply giving us some practical insight into how we can, through our daily lives, influence people for Christ. Too often we think of evangelism as going up to a total stranger and preaching at them. And you know what? There's a place for that. And we've even begun to do that in some street evangelism. But not everybody's called to that. For some people, they'd rather have their toenails pulled out with pliers <laughs> than, than go up to a total stranger and just embark on a sensitive subject like that. Now, God opens doors, and when He does, you should walk through them. In other words, when you're at the grocery store and you're standing in line and somebody in front of you begins to tell you that their marriage is falling apart, and people do that. I mean, it blows me away sometimes how open people are. You're like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, not very good. My husband just ran off with another man. It's like, okay. <laughs> right? And when you have those opportunities, rather than going awkward, you know, and like, um, I'm going to go to another line. <laughs> rather than doing that, we ought to say, you know what? Man, that's terrible. Can, can I tell you about... A husband that will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, there, there's opportunities that we have. There, there's open doors that people give us. And when we have those opportunities, we ought to take them. But what Paul gives us here is not methods of street evangelism. It, it's not a punch in the stomach because of our wimpy witness. Paul gives us some practical encouragement as how we can reach our community for Jesus in very natural ways. And so let's read our text, and we'll look at a couple things. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, or in all of Greece. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. And so Paul gives us two exhortations here, two ways that we can walk properly toward those who are outside, as he says in verse 12. That's really the bottom line of this text, that we might walk properly toward those who are outside. And he doesn't mean those who are outside the building. It's a term that, that means those who are outside of the love of Christ, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, those who have never given their lives to him. And we ought to have a heart for those people. You ought to, to be compelled by the love of Christ to share what you have with them. It, it's been said that we're just beggars showing other beggars where the bread is. That's all that it is. We don't have to come across condescending. We don't have to come across self-righteous. We don't have to come across as if we have all the answers. These are all of the things that Christians do in their zeal, in their passion, but it comes across bad. As if 
we have it all together. And sometimes as Christians, we think that we've got to present ourselves to the lost as if we have everything all together, thinking that if we're not putting on a facade of perfection, that people won't want Jesus. And it's just the opposite. Because when we put on that facade, people are smart enough to see right through it. And they, that's where they come up with this idea that we're hypocrites. Is because they know that this can't be true. This facade can't be real. And they want to get beyond that into some reality. And so just be real with people. And Paul shows us how we can do that. Two ways that we can walk properly toward those that don't have a relationship with Jesus. That we might not lack anything. Maybe you came in here this morning thinking that you have a lot of things lacking in your life. Maybe you look at the church and you think, there are a lot of things lacking in the church. And I mean, there are scores of books being written about how we can have the perfect church and how the church can really be what it's intended to be and how you can grow a church and how you can impact a community and and how your church won't lack for things. Well, Paul tells us how we can walk properly toward those who are outside and that we may lack nothing. It isn't the latest bestseller. It's not a program. It's just doing what we're called to do. It's being about our mission. And he gives us two things. The first is to love one another, verses 9 and 10. And the second is to have a strong work ethic. And that sounds funny, doesn't it? When you think about evangelism, you don't think about having a strong work ethic as an evangelistic tool, but Paul tells us that it is. Love one another is the first thing. He says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. The Thessalonians, the believers there, needed instruction from Paul concerning sexual behavior. And Paul gave them that in the previous eight verses. But God himself had taught them and he has taught us how to love one another by virtue of the spirit that lives in our heart. Paul needed to give them specific instructions about sexual purity, but he doesn't need to do that about love because the Spirit of God lives in our heart. And what does the Bible tell us? That the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so it's a byproduct of who we are in Christ. We don't have to drum it up. And that's why when you try to fake it and and you try to pretend like you really love someone when you don't, It just comes across bad. But when that love, which comes forth from the spirit that lives in you, and it's just a byproduct, people know that it's real. And he says, concerning brotherly love, which is phileo love, it's it's a benevolence kind of love. It's a love that we ought to have for our families. It's a love that provides for needs. He says, concerning that, I don't need to write to you, for you're taught by God to agape one another. And so the unconditional, unmerited, unending love of God has been poured out into our hearts. Therefore, we ought to be able to very naturally have brotherly love for one another. Love is one of the greatest indicators that we have a real relationship with Jesus. If you do not have love in your hearts for other people, specifically here, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you do not have a love for them, 
that it's an indication that there's a disconnect in your relationship with Jesus or quite possibly that there is no relationship with Jesus. Because when the Spirit comes into your heart, which happens when you give your life to Christ, love is a natural byproduct. It's just like when you go to the doctor and, and you're ill and he asks you or she asks you for your symptoms. What they're trying to figure out is what exactly do you have because certain symptoms lead them to a conclusion. And if you don't have those symptoms of maybe what they're thinking, then you don't have that disease or that illness. And the same is true if we are to be diagnosed as Christians. There are certain symptoms. And the greatest of these is love. 1 John 3.14, John tells us, This is how you know that you've passed from death to life. From darkness to light is love for one another. It's a great indicator. Jesus was constantly being challenged by the religious leaders. And one day they came to him. And they thought they had him cornered. They thought they had him trapped. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? I mean, how is Jesus going to possibly take 600 plus commands of things that we need to do, of things that we shouldn't do, and boil it down to one? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They had nothing to say. Because when you love God... Love for people is going to flow naturally from that. And every command will be kept by simply loving God and loving people. Paul said the same thing in Galatians 5.14. That the, the fulfillment of the law is love. And so if we want to walk and to please God, and we want to have an influence on this community, one of the greatest ways that we can do that is to simply love one another. So that when people come to a service or when people see us interacting, they can see love. People are helping each other in, in practical ways. Someone needs help moving. You, you, you volunteer to help. Someone has a big project that they're doing and, and people come over and they help. Someone is in need financially and the church helps them and gets behind them. All sorts of ways that we can show love to people practically. We have a great ministry here that when people are ill or when a, a wife is having a, a child, the, the church gets behind that family and cooks meals. Just a, a small way to show the love of Christ. Lately, I've been hearing of some ideas that people have to even do that more. We have a helping hands ministry where we do work projects for widows and single moms and the elderly that, that need assistance, that need help with projects around their house. These are ways that we can show the community the love of Jesus. And, and we can do that not only in a, in a big project that's sponsored by the church, but you can do that just on your own. Loading up your lawnmower and going to somebody's house that, that you know they're unable to mow their lawn and mow their lawn or pull some weeds or paint a fence doesn't have to be church sponsored it doesn't have to be approved you just go and do it because God's put it on your heart and you want to serve and you want to show people the love of Christ and as you're out there 
mowing the lawn. The neighbor looks over and thinks, I wonder who that is. And later they ask, who mowed your lawn? Oh, that's some guy from the church. Just wants to bless me. And, and people see that. Loving people very practically. How about when people come in to the church and, and they're new? We have all kinds of new people here. And we want them to feel loved and welcomed. And we do a good job of that, but we can do better. As Paul says, that you ought to abound in this more and more. Not that I need to write to you, as he says in verse 10, you, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Greece, but we urge you that you increase more and more. And so we might say, man, we're doing a pretty good job of that, but you know what? We can do better. We can do more. There are people that, that slip through the cracks here. There are people that are struggling, that need a phone call, that need somebody to come alongside of them. And if God puts somebody on your heart during the week, give them a call. Send them a note, an email. Show them the love of Christ. No one person, not even our leadership team, can do that. We need the entire body to be involved in that. Showing the love of Jesus. Loving one another. It means that, that you actually think about people. That they're on your mind. They're on your heart. That you don't just consume yourself with yourself. And people say, well, you know, I'm really busy with my family. And, and that's where I show love is to my family. Well, let's just stop there for a second. Because there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, moms, dads, you ought to be doing that. You ought to be loving your kids first and not neglecting them to serve somebody else. You ought to be pointing them to Jesus. That is huge, but that's very natural. As Jesus said, even the unbelievers do that. That, that isn't something that, that we do because we're Christians. It's something that we do because God's instilled that in us as we're made in His image. And so we need to go above and beyond what comes naturally, as the Spirit of God is in our hearts, we, we want to do more. We want to abound more and more. And we don't want to just love those that it comes very naturally to us to love. We want to love people that without Jesus, I wouldn't even give them a second thought. I wouldn't care anything about them at all. Zero. Because what do they have to offer me? And see, as someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus... You're self-consumed, you're self-focused, it's all about you. And so, why would I want to help somebody that can offer me nothing in return? I've got better things to do. But when you're pursuing Jesus and you want to model Jesus, and you want your life to be consumed by Jesus, and you want to walk as He walked, then all of a sudden He gives you eyes for people that typically you wouldn't care anything about. And so, loving one another... When the world looks on at that, you guys, when people who don't know Jesus look on at that, it makes them want Jesus. Because what do people want? They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to feel a part of something. And we have that. That's what we can offer people. Are we going to do this perfectly? No, we're going to make mistakes. But can we do better than we are? Absolutely. We can do a lot better. We can abound more and more. We can get out into the community and be more a part of civic groups and civic efforts. 
This is a small town. You have an opportunity to make a huge influence. There are all kinds of positions to be volunteered for in the community that nobody's stepping up. Every year the mayor goes unopposed. How awesome would it be for one of you guys to run for mayor? To turn this community upside down for Jesus. Get on the city council. Lord knows they need help. Right? And we can make an influence that way. We don't have to go out and beat the streets necessarily. Maybe that's not what you're called to do. But we're all called to love one another. And we've got to get out so that people can see that love. So that people can see who you are. Paul also gives us a second exhortation. And that's to have a strong work ethic. He says that you also aspire. It means you pursue it. It means you're, you're making effort. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now there's actually a few things here. But I just kind of labeled it all having a strong work ethic. But I want to talk about a few of these other things as well. That you aspire to lead a quiet life. And we often think that to be a good witness we've got to be a loud mouth. We've got to be out there just talking all the time. And sometimes that can turn people from Jesus rather than draw people to Jesus. That we would lead a quiet life, minding our own business. How huge is that? That we wouldn't be the town gossip. And again, you live in a small town, and how often do you hear people say, hey, don't say this to anybody, please. This is a small town. Right? If I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, I'd be a rich man. Don't say this to anybody else. This is a small town. And you know why people say that? Because it's true. Because the town is filled with gossips. Because people want to get in on all the latest news. Hey, and we're all susceptible to it. We all love it. Proverbs says it's like a choice morsel. You just can't wait. It's just some of us pursue it a little bit more. But man, when somebody says that to you, hey, have you heard about, I mean, they're, ooh, it's exciting. No, tell me. What have I missed out on? But you know what we should say? No, I haven't, and I don't want to. It's hard to do, though, isn't it? It's that self-control. It's, it's obeying God rather than your flesh. I'm just saying, you know what? I don't need to know. If I needed to know, I would have heard. I don't need to know. Please don't tell me. And man, you want to talk about shutting somebody down, it just turns the enemy around when you do that. It's like just turning the fire hose off. It's an amazing thing. And you can completely redirect conversations with that simple, no, I don't want to hear it. But it is, it's a small town. And we love to meddle in other people's business. And we love to, to get in on the gossip. And we love to, to tell people what they ought to do and give advice when we're not asked. And can I give you a little bit of advice about advice? Don't give advice if you're not asked. People don't listen. You're wasting your breath. If they don't ask you for it, don't give it to them. Parents of adult kids, man, take that to heart. If your kids aren't asking for your advice, don't give it to them. Because you're just going to get into a fight. Wait for the Lord to open their hearts. Wait for them to ask you so that you can actually make a difference. And as people that want to be salt and light in, in this community, we don't need to, to be involved in everybody's lives. That's not how we're going to make a difference. 
make a difference by leading a quiet life, minding our own business, working hard, working with your own hands. And as we'll see when we get to 2 Thessalonians, there was a problem in this church of taking advantage of people who have giving hearts. Of saying, you know what? Jesus is coming back, so I'm just going to quit my job. And I mean, there's rich people in the church anyway. And I mean, look, they, they've been blessed by the Lord. They don't even have to work that hard. I bet you they don't even show up to work half the time. I mean, they've just been blessed. Everything they touch turns to gold. And, you know, I'm just going to live off of them. That was happening in this church. And you know what? It can happen in any church where people don't have a strong work ethic and they live off of others. And they think, you know what? I'm just going to take advantage of people's benevolent hearts, of people's love. Aren't, Aren't we supposed to love people? Aren't we supposed to love each other? Well, hey, love me. Here I am. Here's a good opportunity. Here's my account number. Just deposit it whenever you feel like loving me. And that isn't how it should be. We should have a strong work ethic. The church is not a handout organization. That's not what the church is for. It's not the purpose of the church. And we get a lot of phone calls. A lot of people in in need. And of course, it's only increasing with the state of the economy. And we want to reach those people. We want to help them. And and the the funds often are not there. And, And we have given when we don't have But we have some guidelines of, look, you need to come to a service and we'll sit down with you afterward and we'll talk to you because we don't want to just give people a handout. We want to give them Jesus. And so as people who want to love the Lord and want to make a difference in this community, one of the ways that you can do that is by modeling a strong work ethic because that's the way we've been created by God is to have a purpose. Now in the garden, their purpose was different It was just to enjoy all that God had created. And we're going to be there again someday in heaven. But with sin came a curse. And part of the curse was working. Working the ground. Toiling in labor. So that we could eat. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, look, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's part of the curse. But it's also part of the way that God has wired us to have a purpose. And it's why that lazy people... Who, who don't work are often depressed and are often very, very self-consumed. It, it's because God has wired us and created us to, to have a purpose and, and to have a strong work ethic and to do what we do as unto Him, as He talks about in Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord with all of your heart. And so moms, if you stay home with your kids, have a strong work ethic. Have a routine. Be organized. Be an example to the ladies in your neighborhood or to your family. That when they come over, your house isn't just a bomb. And that you're watching TV, eating, you know, candy all day. That, that's, not a, that's not what people need to see to be pointed to Jesus. Now, we all have need to, to just relax. But on an ongoing basis... Moms, if, if your house is just a bomb and your kids are not taken care of, and that, that's not a good witness. Men, have a strong work ethic. Number one, you've got to have a job. And right now we're in a, a time where it is tough to find a job. And, and 
I understand that. But if you're unemployed, you got to get up every day. Get, get dressed like you're going to work and put in an eight-hour day looking for a job. It's not going to come to you. Nobody's going to ring your doorbell. You got to go out, pray, seek the Lord, and knock on doors, make phone calls, turn in your resume, show up at a job site with a lunch pail and say, I'm ready to work. I'll work for free. I'll show you what I can do. My dad did that. He worked for a week. Finally, the guy said, you know what? I figured you would go away. You're not going away. So you're hired. You got to do what you've got to do. And when you do have a job, men, ladies, have a strong work ethic. Be there on time, early. Do what you're asked to do and beyond. Look for things to do. If there's nothing to do, don't just stand around. Look for something to do. Make yourself irreplaceable. If they're doing layoffs, you want to be that employee that they think, I could never get rid of this guy. I am going to lay him off last. When we go bankrupt, he'll be the last person to walk out the door with me. That's the kind of employee you want to be. You don't want to be the guy that they think, yeah, we could really do without this guy. It's kind of dead weight. You want to be the guy that people think, employers think, how did I ever function without you? You're amazing. And you know what? I I used to to own a business, and I used to have employees. And as an employer, expectations aren't really that high. I mean, sometimes it was like I just wanted people to show up on time and to do their job. I mean, I don't even care if you go above and beyond. Just please get here on time and do your job. That's all I ask. And you know how hard that was to find? And I'll tell you who some of the worst people were, were people from church. Not this church, but the church that I was serving in at the time. Late, horrible work ethic. Not call when they were sick, just not show up. Where's so-and-so? Oh, they didn't feel good today. Are you serious? Got people lined out the door with baskets in their hands full of produce. Where's this person? I need them to check out. Customers, oh, they're not here today. You got to be kidding me. Guys, a strong work ethic. You have a witness ground. You have a mission field right where you work of people that are watching you, watching how you work. And believe me, they notice if you're late all the time. They notice that. Certainly your boss notices, but so do your coworkers. They notice if, if you're always the one that puts everything off on them. They notice if you refuse to take blame for things, and you're always blaming others. And when the boss comes around, you start working really hard and start brown-nosing. Man, may it not be named among us. May we not be standing around preaching the gospel on the clock. That doesn't glorify God. It makes him look bad. It makes us look bad. A strong work ethic. Be pursuing what it is that you're doing. Learning. Asking God to give you wisdom so that you can do it better. And doing it as unto him. See, too often we're, we're working for our boss. And we ought to be working for the Lord. And see, when you're working for him and you're working to glorify him, it changes everything. And so we ought to aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind our own business. We could change a lot of lives by being different than the status quo in this community, by not being gossips, by not being busybodies, by not meddling into people's lives, 
and that you work with your own hands as we commanded you, having a strong work ethic, no matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. You can have a strong work ethic so that we can be salt and light in this community. So that when people find out that you love Jesus, you have a huge platform on which to speak. It's like you've been preparing the way for months and years of them watching you. And all of a sudden, they have a crisis in their life. And you speak into their lives. And they're not thinking in their minds, why is this guy telling me about Jesus? The guy's lazy. Why is she telling me about Jesus? Her kids are out of control. I've been to her house for lunch. The place is nasty. I don't even want to sit down. You see what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm just saying that people are watching us. They're watching how we live our lives. They're watching the normal daily activities. And that speaks volumes. It speaks volumes to them. And when given opportunities, we have a huge platform, an inroad into their life to give them Jesus. And so let's ask God to give us a heart for the lost, to give us a heart for our community by loving one another, by having a strong work ethic. Very practical things. Ask God, how can I love people more, Lord? What, it, what is it that I can do to love people more? What can I do? Lord, how can I have a stronger work ethic? Lord, how can I be a better witness in, in what I'm doing with the majority of my life? The, the majority of our life is spent in our jobs. And so we ought to use that as a way to point people to Jesus. It's our greatest opportunity, right? A wonderful opportunity you have tomorrow to be a witness for Jesus, wherever you're at. And what an amazing mission field we have. You guys are all missionaries, sent out into various places, and we can make an impact on this community. We can change this community. One person who's sold out for Jesus can radically change a workplace, a family, a neighborhood, a community. Think what all of us could do. Sold out, loving one another, having a strong work ethic, pointing people to Jesus. Man, it excites me to think what we could do if we truly wanted to. Let's stand and pray together. Father, some very practical things. And Lord, that's what I love about your word is it's so practical, Lord. It's, it's so in your face. It, it's just right where we're at. And God, I know that I'm convicted. Lord, I know that I don't love people the way that I should. I know that my tone of voice isn't always what it should be, that, that the way I treat people isn't always right. Lord, forgive me. God, may we be quick to apologize. Lord, that can go a long way in pointing people to you. Lord, I pray that you'd use us in our workplaces. God, I know that many are unemployed. Lord, I pray that you would bring jobs. God, I pray that you'd bring opportunities for any that are here right now to not only provide for their families, Lord, but also to be a witness for you. I pray that you'd bring jobs, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't be so prideful that we would refuse to take jobs that maybe are below us or don't pay what we think we deserve. God, may we be humble and just be willing to take what we can for the time. And Lord, for those of us that do have jobs, 
Lord, may we have a strong work ethic. May we work as unto you. May we glorify you. Lord, whether we're stay-at-home moms, God, what an amazing job. What an amazing opportunity. And Lord, I pray that you would reinvigorate the moms to have a strong work ethic, Lord. To, to be a witness with what they're doing. Not only to their own families, Lord, but to their neighborhoods and their communities. Lord, for those that work outside the home. Lord, no matter what it is, whether it's something that they just don't really like that much, Lord, or it's, it's something that they've just sort of fallen into a routine and it comes very easy to them to get their job done and just to do the basics, to get a paycheck. Lord, I pray they would go above and beyond. Lord, that, that people would look and say, man, that guy loves Jesus and it shows in the way he approaches his job. Lord, may we make a radical impact on this community in very simple, practical ways. Lord, fill us with your spirit and may these things be a byproduct of that relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. If you would like to write to us or contribute to this ministry, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Or you may log on to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com. Thank you for listening and God bless.